Welcome to the PA Books podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. While the focus is always on Pennsylvania, topics like the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Industrial Revolution, the coal and steel industries, and authors like John Updike, David McCullough, and John Grogan have a universal appeal. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, Senator Robert Jubilee, author of The Senate Will Come to Order. Senator Robert Jubilee, author of The Senate Will Come to Order, But the Politics May Be Messy. Uh, how old were you when you decided you wanted to go into politics? I think I just got out of the womb. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I was pretty young. Uh, I can't say how young, but I remember uh, my father, uh, who was uh, an attorney, uh, coming home. He always had the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, and the Altoona Mirror, of course. And... I would read the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, and see the names of Richardson Dilworth and Joe Clark and others, and uh, and I would follow it. I probably was, oh, maybe 9, 10, 11, but uh, I wasn't very old. It, uh, it just was a terrific interest for me. What, what did your dad do? That he, was, he was a lawyer and also ran for judge? My father was a judge then. Was it an elected uh, office? Yes. Yeah, he was elected uh, to a 10-year term as a judge at the Court of Common Pleas of Blair County uh, later in his career. Uh, he was a trial lawyer, a defense lawyer, criminal defense, and a plaintiff's lawyer, uh, and a very, very good lawyer. And uh, as I say, late in his career, he capped it off with running for judge, which didn't pay what it does today. I think it was $22,500, uh, but he was a brilliant, brilliant he had a brilliant legal mind. The best way to define him is to tell you that uh, the nearly 10 years he was there and he had to resign because he had Parkinson's uh, disease, uh, he was never reversed. by the. And that's when all the uh, criminal uh, 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 procedures and warnings and so forth were coming down from the, uh, the United States Supreme Court. Uh, but he was—he kept up with it. He you, was quite a guy. You grew up in Altoona. I did. What was the town like when you were growing up? Well, it was a railroad town, and uh, I think it, to to an extent, there will never be a uh, a, a distance from that that term, a railroad town, the Pennsylvania Railroad. And uh, I, I mean, I had uh, normal uh, growing up. I had friends. We lived in a in a uh, you know, I'd say a middle-class uh, neighborhood, and uh, I just uh, 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 just kind of grew up and not knowing anything ex uh, anything else, other than the fact that uh, uh, you know my dad was a lawyer, my mom was a, uh, one time was a teacher, but she was a homemaker, and uh, uh, we lived uh, uh, we lived my we lived well. My dad got through the depression because he was a criminal defense lawyer, and probably none of your viewers would remember Walter Winchell, uh, but uh, he was mentioned on Walter Winchell, 
uh, if you want to uh, <laughs> if you want to uh, commit uh, murder and uh, you need a defense lawyer, see Sam Jubilee in uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. So, were, you, were you a good student? Oh boy, there's a question. Was I a good student? Uh, I was in 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 high school and in uh, elementary school. I was a good student. Um, I wasn't ready for college. Um, I uh, that uh, Altoona High School has changed dramatically. It's so far better than it was when I went to uh, uh, went to high school, and uh, I didn't do as well in college uh, as I did in uh, uh, my previous uh, educational uh, visits to uh, uh, to uh, school to uh, the college. Where Penn State University? We are. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I did well in law school, so. So you struggled when you got to Penn State? I did. I did struggle when I got to Penn State. I didn't feel I was ready and uh, that uh, I hadn't been prepared in uh, uh, the public school system at that time. That has changed, as I said, dramatically now in Altoona. Uh, but I get to law school, and I think I finished 14th in my class, or 13th, 13th in my class. Did you have law school in mind when you first went to Penn State? Probably. I was, you know, uh, the whole family did the same thing. My brother uh, was an attorney and uh, went to Penn State and to Dickinson Law School, and uh, I followed him. He was eight years older, but, uh, and he had been in the service, but I, I did, did the same thing. I went to Penn State. I looked at a couple other schools, but Penn State was has from day one has always been in my heart and still is because uh, I'm now a trustee of the university and it's uh, it's a high honor for me. You said you grew up reading the Philadelphia Inquirer and reading about the Philadelphia did. politicians. Did you ever have an inkling to move off to Philadelphia and get involved in that? No, no, not at all. Uh, interesting though, my son and daughter both live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And uh, uh, so I, I get to see them from time to time, including this past weekend, which was my birthday. Now, uh, quite a bit of time passed between the time you finished law school and when you first ran for office. What did you do in those years? Interesting, uh, really a good, interesting question. Uh, I got involved in 1962 in the campaign of William W. Scranton. Um, my father and uh, the Republican state chairman, George Bloom, were fraternity brothers at the University of Pittsburgh Law School. And uh, uh, anyhow, uh, George Bloom called my father and my brother and said, we need a driver in western Pennsylvania to run a sound wagon. We have central Pennsylvania and uh, eastern Pennsylvania covered, but we need one uh, in Western Pennsylvania. Well, I couldn't do anything because I had to wait for the results of the bar exam. And so here I come. And I was so excited uh, that I was going to have this opportunity. And uh, I drove uh, a sound wagon around, uh, you know, Bill Scranton. And at the time, uh, uh, Jimmy Van Zant was running for the U.S. Senate, and he what's, was from Altoona. What's a sound wagon? A sound wagon is like uh, today would be a SUV. It was a station wagon then with a, uh, uh, a sound uh, uh, piece on top so that I, there was a built-in microphone and I would say, come to the YMCA at seven o'clock, meet 
Republican candidate for Governor Bill Scranton. Uh, refreshments will be served or something like that. And uh, I would go through town and do that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a hoot, really. Uh, but I look back, but uh, I was involved, and I got to meet Bill Scranton and Ray Schaefer, who was a candidate for lieutenant governor, and Walter Alcindroni. Uh, you know, those, those, those days probably helped shape my, uh, my uh, interest, and uh, I really, I just wanted to be involved. And interesting enough, uh, after I had passed the bar, I found out I passed the bar exam and uh, was going into practice, I had uh, been involved with uh, uh, a man by the name of John Tabor, T-A-B-O-R, from Pittsburgh, uh, who became a mentor to me. He was chairman of Citizens for Scranton uh, in Western Pennsylvania. And uh, he ended up being uh, nominated by Governor Scranton and confirmed by the Senate for, for the uh, secretary, uh, I don't know, of properties or something like that. It's all changed. And uh, I wanted to go with him. And I didn't want to go practice law. I want to go to Harrisburg and so forth, et cetera, and my father almost had a conniption. Did he expect you to go into practice with him? Your not father? with him, Your because he was not in the practice at mm -hmm. that time. He was on the bench, but he certainly expected me to go into the practice. My brother was in the practice. My uncle was in the practice. So yes, uh, I was expected, and uh, interesting, uh, George Bloom told me, don't ever depend on politics for your livelihood. You should not do that. Go back and learn how to be a lawyer. And then if you want to get into politics, uh, you can maybe do it on the sideline and so forth. And my father yay. <laughs> and I did. I went back and, uh, and learned my uh, ABCs about how, how to be a, a prominent uh, trial lawyer. And, I, you know, I was a decent trial lawyer. You did not take the job in Harrisburg? No. I did not take the job in Harrisburg, and I uh, went back, and I did learn how to be a lawyer, at least, and for a number of, well, so, so many years until uh, I ran for office, and uh, and I I was determined that uh, I was going to uh, try, it. and for some reason, it was the Senate that appealed to me, and uh, I, uh, uh, we had an incumbent, uh, and uh, uh, I uh, still felt that I was one to do it. The incumbent was going to retire, and I uh, felt this was my time. It was going to be now or never. So uh, uh, I, uh, I, I didn't have a great Watergate year of 1974. This Republican who really was so wet behind the ears, it wasn't even funny. That was the year of all the Watergate babies where the yeah. Democrats were all Oh, elected. yes. It sure was. I had a door slammed in my face. I had a guy spit at me. Like, because I was a Republican, I was responsible for Watergate. Uh, not, uh, not easy. And I, as I was going door to door, I had a lot of uh, folks who uh, were, thought I was President Nixon, I guess, but uh, who were really a, uh, so angry with the Republican Party. And it made it very tough for me. And I had a very, very worthy opponent. Why were you a Republican? My father was a Republican. My mother was a Republican. I think that's how most people uh, 
do uh, you have a chance to change but it's a, I grew up in a Republican area in Blair County uh, was heavily Republican and uh, I uh, I just uh, went with the flow actually what, what was the Senate district the Senate district at the time I ran, mm -hmm. the Senate district at the time I ran was different than, a, uh, than it was uh, the second time. It was Blair County, which was the key county, my home county, Bedford County, a chunk of Somerset County, by the way, which is uh, where the 9-11 Memorial is. Uh, uh, Blair, Bedford, uh, Blair Bedford, Huntington County, and uh, two townships in Mifflin County, Union and uh, Meadow. Were Meadow some of Township. those parts of the district areas you were completely unfamiliar with? Oh, yeah. My goodness, yes. Um, I mean, I, I, knew, I knew something about Bedford and Huntington counties. Blair I knew, and uh, thank goodness. And uh, uh, I, uh, uh, but that piece of Somerset and uh, Mifflin, there was... Uh, a gentleman who's now county commissioner in Mifflin County who had total control over those two counties and he wasn't for me. <laughs> so I got smashed in those two counties. But uh, having said that, uh, he also told me, if you win, uh, I promise you, you will get uh, my support and so forth. And he did, and, I, and we smashed. Then I was running. Uh, well, who was your opponent in the primary? Uh, his name was Roy Ogburn, O-G-B-U-R-N, or B-O-R-N. Uh, he was the executive assistant to then minority leader of the United States Senate, Hugh Scott. And they, you want to talk about gerrymandering? They gerrymandered that piece of Somerset County into the 30th senatorial district so he could run. Uh, he did not want to go west. He wanted to go east. He felt it was more, and he was right, it was far more Republican. And so I ended up running against him. He would bring checks and everything into the counties. Uh, the, uh, he would show up at different things that the county commissioners uh, suggested to him. He had them all. And uh, I had a very difficult time. In the final analysis, uh, I lost four counties but I won Blair big, and that was enough to uh, win by 1,800 votes. Were there issues? Were there issues? Uh, I think by that time, uh, there, weren't, there was not anything that we were so differing on. He was saying that he knew uh, how to bring things back uh, to the district because he had been in Washington with Hugh Scott, Interesting, I'll tell you a, a uh, funny story. Uh, we found letters under Hugh Scott's uh, senatorial stamp uh, that uh, Hugh Scott had sent out in favor, uh, promoting Roy Ogburn. So what I did, I put those letters, and there was just uh, uh, maybe a half a dozen of them that we found. I put them in an envelope, and I knew Senator Scott, and... Uh, I wrote him a note. I'm, I said, I'm sure you want, would not want this under your franking privilege. Uh, and uh, I suggest that uh, I hope there, or I said, I hope there's no more, so forth. 
and he <laughs> reimbursed the Senate. I, th- I forget what the, 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 the cost of the stamp was at that time, but he reimbursed them, a, you know, maybe a buck or something like that. <laughs> so those are the funny things. So. so that was your first experience at campaigning for yourself? Mm-hmm. I campaigned for others. But it was the first experience campaign. Was the first election I had ever been in. Did you like it? I loved it. I really did. I enjoyed it. I loved meeting people. Uh, I loved talking uh, to them about their problems. I never stopped that, by the way. That uh, carried through to me uh, uh, all the way through my uh, tenure as president pro tempore and the number of uh, elections that I had uh, been successful in. But I enjoyed people, and I enjoyed hearing them, and I enjoyed being able to, and particularly as President Pro Tempore, to have the uh, power uh, to bring back uh, things that were quality of life uh, enhancements for my district. How did you raise money for your first campaign? I'm sorry, what? How did you raise money for your first campaign? (laughs) I raised money by cashing in some life insurance or borrowing, I guess I should say. I had a nice committee, I did. I I can tell you exactly what it was. It was the same in the primary, but it was a lot easier in the the general, because I had help from the state uh, party. Uh, It was $45,000. Today, uh, the same thing, oh my, it would be several hundred thousand dollars. But it was $45,000, and uh, I I didn't have that kind of money. And uh, I, I, I borrowed for my life insurance, and there were people who contributed, but uh, it was not easy. So you won the primary? I won the primary. Fairly close. 1,800 votes. I can still remember. <laughs> and uh, was the general election kind of a foregone conclusion in that part of the state? Yeah, it was, that I was going to lose. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was. The general, I know, you're looking at You way, said it was a heavily Republican area. I'll tell you why. There was an incumbent House member, Democrat, in the city of Altoona, Democrat, and came impossible, but he won. Uh, His name was Denny Bixler. He owned a radio station. He was very popular uh, in the city of Altoona, and uh, uh, he was on the he was on the air. He got away with it, uh, even as a candidate, because he was uh, he owned the station. I think he had a program of his own. At that time, and uh, I uh, really was the underdog. Uh, a couple of things happened. If we want stories, uh, the uh, there are two things that happened that I think changed everything. I was I was I was on the path to lose. Uh, we had two debates: one in uh, Juniata College uh, in Huntington, and the other at uh, Penn State Altoona. Uh, Den- one thing about Denny: Denny uh, was absent a great deal. Uh, he just didn't like going. He was not well-liked in, by his colleagues in the Democratic caucus, and uh, he always uh, uh, kind of uh, put them down, put the whole uh, house down. And uh, uh, anyhow, what happened was uh, during the debate, he uh, missed the—I uh, knew he had missed the vote on the fact that the uh, the, the income tax had gone up. And— uh, uh, Anyhow, uh, I, I suckered him into the, uh, we got into it, and he repeated the, 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 the income tax that had been replaced. And I didn't say anything. He 
chided me, he said, you don't know what the income tax is, stuff. I let it go because there was no media there. And so I knew we had another debate in Altoona a week later. Uh, I think I was smarter in those days. <laughs> Anyhow, it, it worked to perfection. We did the same thing, and he got up and he railed at me. He said, I told you last week, you don't know what the income tax is. How do you expect to be uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate? <laughs> I had the bill that was signed by the governor changing it, and I read it, and I said, you are the one, Mr. Bixler, who doesn't there because you don't show up half the time. You've been absent so often. I just, I hammered him. I mean, that was, a, that was teed up for me. It was easy. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, it, uh, the other thing he did, uh, there were two Bedford County legislators retiring. Uh, the one I was uh, hoped to replace, Stanley Straup, and the House member. And uh, uh, there was a dinner, a Lions Club dinner. Uh, it's either in Bedford or Breezewood, or, but it was Bedford County, honoring these two guys. He crashed the uh, dinner and uh, took the uh, attention away from those uh, two well-respected, well-liked uh, state representatives and uh, touted himself and so forth. And it made the papers and so forth. And boy, did I carry Bedford County. And uh, I actually lost Blair County. I lost the city of Altoona because he was, uh, 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 represented them. But I got the outlying districts in uh, Blair County. I lost by a little bit. And I end up winning by 1,200 votes. Wasn't easy. A squeaker. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, I had the campaign. I've, heck, last year I was campaigning to be reelected as a trustee for Penn State, so I know how to campaign. And frankly, I really enjoy campaigning. I really do. Most people don't, but I like people. Did you learn then uh, in that first election about how to deal with the media? Yeah, I think I, I, had, I had dealt with the media on some other issues. Um, but uh, I always was, uh, uh, people were always scared to death of the media. I wasn't. Uh, I was very comfortable uh, on television uh, or with uh, the print media. It didn't matter. And uh, sometimes I probably talked too much. But uh, I, I don't know whether I had to learn at that time. I think I had already passed the learning stage. Uh, you were 37? Pardon me? 37 years old when you were elected? Yes. So you were not a kid? No. No. I was, you're right. I was 37 years old. And, uh, but I, I always liked the media. And I knew who were the good guys and who uh, the guys to watch out for when I got to Harrisburg. That's for sure. It was a different world when I got to Harrisburg with the media. So you arrive in Harrisburg as a freshly elected senator. What kind of shape was the state in at the time? Oh, well, I think Pennsylvania had the worst governor in its history, and sadly, I think he was slipping uh, uh, because he when uh, later he, uh, I think, had some Alzheimer's issues. Uh, Milton Schapp. Uh, it's the second term of Milton Schapp, not the first term. The first term, he got uh, some accolades from the media. The second term, <laughs> he turned it over to his staff almost, and he was in the background as governor, and his staff was running things. Uh, PennDOT was uh, just full of pat patronage and 
uh, it was uh, it was a terrible time, uh, and uh, the Democrats were in charge uh, of the Senate at that time, uh, and uh, it was uh, that they were not performing in a way uh, that uh, you would ex you know, expect that they certainly had to bear the brunt of the Schapp administration, and it was corrupt, pure and simple. It was a corrupt administration, and uh, uh, it was difficult for me as a freshman um, senator, freshman legislator, uh, to get anything done. Uh, I was on the Labor and Industry Committee. Uh, I, I can remember wanting to offer an amendment in committee, and the chairman refused to let me do it. Why? Uh, you have to do that uh, some different way, I don't remember. But, uh, you know, everything was done in secret, too, and uh, this, the Sunshine Law evolved over things like that, and I was part of that. So, so how did you learn to be a senator? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. That's a, you learn. Uh, was there some senior senator who took you under his wing and said, let me yeah, tell you a thing were. or two? Yeah, and probably Henry Hager would be. Uh, the one and interesting, I, I just had dinner with him a uh, uh, couple weeks ago, and uh, he had, was from Williamsport at the time. He was a true leader in many ways and had uh, one time ran for governor, but uh, he took me under his wing. And without Henry Hager, uh, you wouldn't have that book in your hands, and it, and it really tells the story of him uh, when we uh, the Republican uh, took over the Senate, uh, and uh, uh, he bumped a uh, the uh, then uh, minority leader, and he bumped him. He was going to be president pro tem, and he supported me to be majority leader. Well, let me tell you, that was six years after I uh, uh, was elected. I was about as green <laughs> as green can be. Did people think that was pretty presumptuous of you to run for leadership? I don't know. I never got that kind of feedback. Uh, but uh, I had to learn. I can remember sitting down uh, with Jim Mandarino, who was a powerful, powerful um, uh, member, of the Democrat um, uh, leader uh, in the House. And we had to negotiate with him. And I would say no to everything. Then I'd go back and say, you think this is all right? I'm, I'm, and then I would call Jim. I said, hey, Jim, that's okay. Yeah, really, because I, I acknowledged, and it's in, again in the book, that I was green and that uh, I was, uh, uh, I learned, I learned quickly. And, uh, you know, the fact is I was in leadership uh, for the rest of my career. So time. were you in the minority party for the first six years you were mm -hmm. there? What was it like being in the minority party? Terrible. Did you get anything done? <laughs> no, it was terrible. And uh, uh, it, 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 and we had, and even in our Republican caucus, uh, I guess we had about 11 or 12 of us, uh, maybe a few more, I can't remember exactly. But um, uh, there was an old guard, and the old guard would play ball with the Democrats and get the stuff that they wanted. And then there was the Young Turks. And at that time, I was a Young Turk. And uh, there was a leadership election, and uh, I was put in the corner and asked to support uh, the 
uh, senator who eventually won, but I told him I wasn't going to vote for him. <laughs> I was going to vote for uh, uh, somebody else. What kind of shape financially was the state in? Hmm. You know, I can't uh, recall completely, but, uh, um, well, after, uh, after Schaap came Thornburg, and Thornburg was like cleaning up the mess of Milton Schaap and uh, getting the state on the, the right track, and uh, it was much better. And so this, 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 it wasn't in bad shape at that time, I, after at least the first term of Thornburg. Interesting, though, uh, Thornburg had a scare on his re-election. He should have been elected, uh, re-elected overwhelmingly, but uh, those were the Watergate days and, and the Nixon time and so forth. Well, when was your first re-election? My first re-election would have been 78, 1978. Any opposition? Yes, I had opposition every year, but uh, every uh, uh, election but one. And uh, I, had, I had opposition that time, but it was pretty easy. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything. Uh, uh, I won handily. Were there things you had in mind as goals, things you wanted to accomplish? At the time, the district I represented really had very little from Harrisburg. I wanted to be the guy that uh, helped build up uh, uh, at least the important things that were needed uh, in the district. Uh, I was fortunate uh, to work with a congressman who was highly successful in Washington, Bud Schuster, and, uh, and chairman of the Transportation Committee in the House and, and a guy who uh, was uh, uh, very interested in making uh, his district, his congressional district, uh, much better and with Washington's help. So when Bud finally realized I was never going to run against him, <laughs> because in the beginning, he looked, there's this young guy, you know, he represents uh, uh, this uh, same uh, a big part of my district. And uh, he's from the city of Altoona, which is the largest city. I better watch out for him. And he was a little cold. But when he realized I wasn't, I had no interest in Washington. Why not? I, I just didn't. I, I wanted to be home. I had young kids. And uh, I, uh, I just didn't want to go to Washington. I had no desire ever. I still don't. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I liked uh, state government. And I wanted to rise to the highest that I possibly could, and I did. Uh, at that, well, I guess you can't say I was never governor, but I did get to be lieutenant governor at one time. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's just uh, it, 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 there were so many things that I was able to do and bring back to the district and make the district feel good about themselves again. I mean. It was always, particularly in, in Altoona and Blair County, we get nothing from Harrisburg. Johnstown gets everything. And, uh, well, that was, well, there was a guy by the name of Mirtha uh, who made that happen. Uh, but when Bud Schuster and I got together, uh, you know, the, all of a sudden there was a Blair County ballpark, uh, there was a convention center, there was Interstate 99, which is key to the economic uh, future of the area. Made it easier for you to get to Penn State. Oh, my, yes. It sure, it sure did. And uh, so uh, it, it, the, the district was starting to feel good about itself. 
And Johnstown was crying, why do they get, Mirtha was gone. Why, why does Altoona get everything and we, we're not getting anything? So at any rate, uh, that was fun for me to be able to help uh, make the area better and feel good about themselves in the process. So you were in office six years in the minority, and then suddenly you were the majority party and you were the majority leader, and was that when Dick Thornburg was governor? Yeah, I was majority leader in 1980 because that's when uh, Henry Hager became president pro tem and was really the leader in our caucus. So he was the boss? He was the boss. And uh, basically went to Jack Stauffer, who should have uh, ascended to the – he would be next in line – and should have been the majority leader. Uh, but uh, Henry Heger, and we call him Merck, uh, went to Stauffer and said, I'm going to support Bob Jubilee for a majority leader, Jack, and uh, I think it's a better position for him than it is for you. And he said, uh, am I still going to be in leadership? He, and he said, absolutely, you'll be the whip. And so it worked out uh, that uh, uh, I, <laughs> six years after I set foot in, uh, in Harrisburg as uh, the senator from the 30th District of Pennsylvania, I was the majority leader. So what did that involve? I mean, what kind of relationship did you have with the other senators in your caucus? How did you know which direction to go? Well, and it, it, it took some time, to, particularly the old guard. There was an old guard there that had been there a long time. And uh, they, uh, they were not Henry Hager. They were... They, uh, uh, where Dick Frame was the old guard uh, uh, minority leader, and uh, he lost uh, he lost that election to Henry Hager. Uh, we were able to, I can tell you, I guess it was ten to nine or something like that. I think we had nineteen at the time, and uh, but it, I remember how that tenth vote came, and it wasn't easy. But that's another story for another day. But uh, anyhow. Um, it was, it, it, I, it was a, I had a real learning curve to, 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 uh, uh, to get through. Did you get a nicer office? Yes, I did. Uh, but that wasn't the important thing to me. I did. Uh, I had the majority leader's office and, uh, I had a lot of responsibility. Uh, it wasn't just all fun and games. Uh, we had, and that by that time, Thornburg had been elected. And uh, in 1978, I think Dick Thornburg was elected, and uh, we uh, we needed uh, uh, to get things done. And he came with a, a staff that had been with him, uh, uh, Department of Justice, I guess, and they were very good and very effective, uh, but they, they were tough uh, to uh, deal with. And. Uh, uh, that we had to get through, even though we were all on the same team. Uh, Dick, who I have the highest respect for, it's, it's in the book, and I grade the governors in the book, but I had great respect for Dick Thornburg. Uh, he, he truly cleaned up the, uh, the, the mess that uh, Milton Shap and his uh, uh, staff and, uh, that were running the state government made. And, uh, uh, but uh, he... Uh, Dick Thornburg, uh, coming from the Department of Justice and so forth, uh, uh, he was a very good governor. He, uh, he, he was a little isolated, but uh, uh, after any, as I say, uh, he only won by 
100,000 votes, you say, well, that's a lot. Well, it really isn't when you think of the millions of people who vote uh, about 1982, right in the middle of Watergate. So, Was it Republican House, Senate, and Governor at the time? Was there, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I wish I could tell you that, uh, but I, I don't want to say it's absolutely so. But I don't think so. I think the House was in Democrat hands at that time. If uh, Governor Thornburg was a Republican in a Republican Senate, you, had, you still had odds over your goals? Had what? Odds, differences over your goals? Sure, absolutely. We had differences over goals. That's, that's normal. But we, we would work them out. Uh, we would uh, meet, uh, and the, re the Republican uh, uh, leadership would meet with uh, the governor on a regular basis. Uh, and yes, we had differences, but we solved those differences. And uh, remember Dick Thornburg and uh, uh, Bill Scranton III, uh, who was lieutenant governor at that time, had to deal with the, uh, uh, the uh, Three Mile Island situation. And that was not an uh, easy. They did a terrific job, and uh, uh, it, uh, there was a there was a lot. So he he they got off to a good start because they had a real success with the three mile three mile thing. And I was in Harrisburg at the time. I said, "Holy cow! I hope I'm not contaminated." Yeah, but that was something. What were the caucus meetings like? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, they were they were uh, lively. Uh, because you still had that old guard uh, that uh, there was probably uh, maybe eight, nine old guard members uh, who, who, who looked at this young uh, guy sitting there at the uh, leader's table uh, in the caucus uh, with uh, uh, the uh, president pro tem and, and the caucus uh, uh, leadership, all the caucus leadership, and the only one that was on uh, that the, the, uh, maintained his position from before was Dick Tillman, who was a phenomenal human being, and be, he was the uh, uh, appropriations chairman, and we kept him on as appropriations chairman. Uh, Dick just passed away recently at 96, and uh, but he was in the Marines. Uh, he was uh, uh, at the, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, where they raised the flag on the... Iwo Jima? Iwo Jima, mm -hmm. thank you. And he was at Iwo Jima. He would never, ever talk about it, uh, where they raised that flag. And, uh, but he was a Marine, and he was just a tremendous human being. Well, you, you talk a lot about the individuals you encountered in your career, and you talked about the Big Five, and you mentioned Henry Hager and Dick Tillman, and uh, you also have uh, Senator Brightbill and Senator Loper. Right. What is it about them that stood out? Well, I was I supported both of them. Um, first, Joe Loper uh, uh, became uh, uh, the majority whip, and uh, when uh, well. Uh, he, he and I were very close, and we kept the caucus together. Right now, the Republican caucus has 34, uh, and uh, we had, like, we were lucky to have 26. And i tell you a funny story. When uh, uh, one of our members uh, thought he was not going to run again, uh, he had a 
place in Florida, uh, in the Keys, uh, in Florida. And Joe and I said, we got to go see him. It was at Helfrick um, uh, from Northumberland County. And we, he said, uh, uh, I said, Joe, we better, we, we need to get down and see Ed. We're, we're in trouble if, uh, if, he, if he doesn't, because if he ran, ran we knew he'd win. Uh, but if he doesn't run, there was a, a young House member who very well could have won that seat. So Joe and I <laughs> uh, hop on uh, a plane, uh, we get to Miami, and then we, uh, we rent a car to go to the Keys. Well, they had this special on the, uh, a Mercedes and uh, at the uh, uh, same price as uh, a Chevrolet. So, well, we'll take the Mercedes. And uh, anyhow, uh, we get started and I said, Joe, and it's night. It's, it's dark and we don't know, we didn't have a GPS. We were driving and hoping we knew what we were doing. And uh, I said, Joe, take a look at the gas range. You know, we figured it was filled up. When we got it, we go. They've always filled them up. Well, maybe they, the dial goes the other way. <laughs> and I said, Joe, we better stop at a gas station. Well, it's pretty hard to find a gas station on the way down. We finally found one. Nobody spoke English. They're they're all Spanish. It was pitch black, and we we got we 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 asked about the gas. I couldn't find the gas tank. I could. How do where where do you open it up? Anyhow, we're all looking around for the gas, the gas uh, tank opening. They were, these guys were underneath the car. They're, they're doing everything. It was a simple place. It was at a very simple place. We finally found it, and it took a full tank. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. If we had gone any farther, why, uh, uh, further, farther, uh, it would have, uh, uh, we would have run out of gas about 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and it wouldn't have about have been, that would not have been fun. But we got there, and Ed Helfrick uh, said to us, uh, hey, it was nice of you guys to come here. Uh, by the way, I've changed my mind. I think I'm going to run. <laughs> so we didn't even need to go. But, uh, and, and Joe and I are laughing so hard that uh, we had made this trip. It was a, not an easy trip. But uh, the uh, goal had already been reached before we got there. So it was a lot of fun. Were you the majority party the whole time you were in leadership? Ah, that's, that's a wonderful question because it requires another story. Uh, the answer probably should be yes, but a guy by the name of Frank Bacora, who's passed away from uh, Allegheny County, we were 26-24, flipped, and became, and I'm trying to think of the year, it's in, in the book, but I can't re remember it right now, flipped and became a Democrat. Uh, and uh, that made it 25-25, and Mark Single, uh, was the, the lieutenant governor under Bob Casey, uh, cast the, the tie-breaking vote. So we, we lost our power. Um, at any rate, I smelled something I'll never forget. Um, and I said, Joe, something's going on with Frank. Frank was tough. He really was. He played games like no other politician that I ever dealt with played. And uh, there was always something Frank wanted, and he knew that he had the leverage because we needed to have 26 votes, so we needed everybody. And uh, I said to Joe Loper, 
get us out of here, get us in recess, do something. Something's going on and I'm not sure what it is. Let's get the hell out of here. And uh, Joe uh, moved uh, to recess for the purpose of a, a Republican caucus. Uh, the Democrats objected. And of course, Frank Pecora voted with the Democrats then. He voted uh, no. And, uh, and then it was like a, <laughs> a banana republic revolution. It was all hell broke loose because the next motion was uh, I, I moved uh, for the election of the president pro tempore of the Senate. It was not the normal time, but uh, they did. And with the same vote, uh, with Frank voting with them, uh, they were successful. I was ousted, and uh, uh, Bob Mello, who was the uh, minority leader, became uh, president pro tempore for a sh uh, not a very long period of time. But uh, uh, the games they played were really, really, I mean, it was rough stuff. But uh, so I later became minority leader. Joe became minority whip. And... Uh, uh, but that, that, that was one of the lowlights uh, of, uh, of my career, but still a great story. And later on, uh, when there was election, Mark, uh, uh, Mark uh, you know, Single kept delaying an election in Bucks County because we, he knew it was going to go Republican. And once it did go Republican, we were back in, in the majority. So we were up, I don't know, period of 16, 17 months or something like that. I want to ask you about something that's in your book, because you mentioned the word power, and in your book you say politics is, has been, and always will be about the exercise of power. Right. When did you feel power as a senator? You know, I, I, I guess it was a while after I was uh, uh, made majority leader. I didn't feel it when I first, uh, when I first uh, was uh, anointed, so to speak. But what would happen, I would come, uh, I would park my car and I would walk up the Capitol steps and I would look up at that building and I'd say, my God, I have an office there. You know, I'm in top leadership. I've got to uh, really do a good job here. And it evolved over a period of time. It wasn't just like one day all of a sudden I have power. It evolved. and. Uh, I, I realized that I could make that power work in a good way. And I did for my district particularly. Uh, and for the Commonwealth where it was required, I traveled all over the Commonwealth. And, uh, and I worked with every governor. But uh, uh, I realized that I, my life had changed. It was never going to be the same again. I, well, at least it didn't appear so unless they threw me out. But uh, um, with that, position uh, came significant uh, uh, power. Why did you decide to do a book? Because I had such a great career and so many stories and you've already gotten quite a few uh, of them. Uh, and talking with uh, David Atkinson particularly, uh, I said a lot of people are asking me to, to write a book and that, that, on my career. And uh, I said, you know, maybe it's something we ought to consider. So David was the key player. And then we thought, who are we going to get to write this book? And uh, lo and behold, we came upon uh, somebody I knew very well, liked a lot, 
a staunch Democrat, uh, worked for Bob Casey as his uh, uh, press secretary, Vince Carocci. He's been on this program. Well, uh, he's written more books than I have, that's for sure. He's written a number of books, and that was a key to it, too. And uh, the fact that I knew Vince, and I think he was with Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time, uh, we asked him to do this. And so he thought about it, and he said, you sure? You know, I'm a Casey Democrat. And I said, Vincent, oh, if you can write the story uh, the way uh, uh, I tell it, uh, uh, that's all I'm asking, and uh, you, it's not your, what you think, it's what I think. And he took a little time and he said, I'll do it. And he did a great job. So how'd you do it? Did you just sit and talk for weeks? Into a, uh, uh, I guess a microphone on a, uh, some kind of a recording uh, device, and, uh, re and he was able to take the, ta the tape or the disc or whatever it was, it was in my office at Obermeyer uh, at that time in uh, Harrisburg, and uh, it was in the conference room, and David uh, Atkinson and Vince Carocci were there, John Gianelli, uh, Steve McNett. Uh, these are people that uh, were key to my career, and they would stop in. Mike Long uh, came in uh, for a while, but, uh, but David and uh, I was there constantly uh, uh, with Vince and would sometimes offer up things that uh, uh, Vince wasn't aware of. You start off your book uh, with the uh, pay raise. I started, yeah, I start, started the, the last chapter first. Why'd you do it that way? What'd you think? <laughs> I thought it was a nice, and he, well, I thought it wasn't my idea. I'm not gonna take credit for it. Uh, but Vince and David thought of this. Why not? Uh, why not uh, do that? You, you see it in the movies from time to time uh, where there are flashbacks or where things start uh, at the end and then they uh, fast forward or fast backward into the, uh, uh, to why the, the, this particular incident happened. And uh, uh, we, we thought it was a good idea and uh, to say, you know, this was the end of my career, and all the good and all the things I did. Uh, the you know, I did, this was not my idea. This pay raise. Whose idea so, was it? Uh, I, I I hate to tell you. I mean, I don't mind telling you, but he passed away. It was at that time. Uh, he, I guess he was uh, Chief Justice Ralph Cappy, and uh, he came to the, the leadership and said, "You've got to do something. We're losing judges right and left," and. Uh, uh, they, they're, they're not going to stay. Uh, a good judge isn't going to stay at this pay scale. Uh, they can go out in the private sector and make way more money than we're doing. So, anyhow, uh, it's my biggest regret uh, because you can't do a pay raise bill for judges uh, without doing it for the for the legislative branch and the executive branch. You can't get the votes. And so uh, John Purzell was speaker, I guess, at the time, and he was uh, very much for it. I, uh, I was hesitant. I had great respect for Ralph Cappy. And, you know, my father being a judge, at, well, he wasn't at that time. I, he had passed away. But uh, uh, the, other, the other thing was uh, my wife had just been elected judge. 
and I didn't want her uh, to, uh, frankly, she was, going, she was ready to reject it if, uh, if, it, uh, if it ever passed. And uh, so it, uh, that's, that's how it happened. Ralph had this plan of tying it to the federal government, which frankly, when, in hindsight, was not very uh, smart because they don't, their pay raises come very rarely and, uh, in Congress. And uh, uh, I, I think we would have been behind uh, because we had a COLA uh, in there with the cost of living. Now, the cost of living adjustments have been very, uh, very small uh, because inflation has been non-existent. But uh, that's how it started. It, it's obviously my biggest regret that I didn't tell Ralph, Ralph, we can't do this. Well, if you had doubts about it at the time, were you still, uh, since you were the, in the leadership, responsible for going out and pushing it to your members? Yes, I was. I'm not going to uh, deny that. Uh, uh, it wasn't, uh, and Bob Mello was solidly for it. Uh, Vince Fumo was solidly for it uh, on the Democratic side. And uh, uh, we had enough uh, on our side that, uh, but the one thing that I, I, uh, I guess I'd say I resent, uh, the media, uh, what they do, they say it's always uh, late at night and so forth. Well, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I know, but every member of the press was in, in, in attendance. They don't say that. And it uh, uh, didn't matter when it was. It would have been the same thing. It happened to be that was the end of a, uh, of a uh, session. And... Uh, uh, it was the last thing that got done that, in that session, but every single member of the press, the media, uh, was uh, in the back of that Senate. So there was no secrets going on in any way, shape, whatsoever. We didn't try to duck the media. Uh, we knew that that, and first of all, I wouldn't have put up with that, and, uh, uh, and nobody would have, really. It, 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 so at any rate, as it said in the book, I'm, it was a... Uh, uh, I make mistakes. This was a, a, a beauty, and I paid a price for it. Uh, I paid the, the I got the death penalty, and uh, uh, as sad as I was, we had some more things that uh, we had uh, things to do, uh, and some interest in the district that we wanted to finish, and we never got a chance. Uh, but uh, uh, having said that. Uh, it is what it is, and uh, you move on to uh, other things, and that's exactly what I did. So as you look back on your career in the Senate and as you were putting this book together, what are your, what are your big hits, your accomplishments, and what was left undone? Oh, boy. Well, I would say, uh, just for the media's sake, the Sunshine Bill, certainly, there's a couple, two, two pieces that took five years each. And the Sunshine Bill was one of them, it's, and it was the uh, new Sunshine Bill. Uh, the old one had been done uh, some years before and had pretty much uh, been discarded by the uh, court's uh, decisions. And uh, so there was no effect. You know, there was a time when committee meetings were held and the door closed and the media was not invited in. We wanted to make sure that... Uh, we put in, we put in, that we put in legislation uh, that uh, was going to change that. Ned Freer, who was the publisher of the Bedford Gazette, well, <laughs> he got me into this. He was a good friend, constituent, uh, 
And he said, Bob, you got to do this. We really need to amend that Sunshine Act. We're really getting hammered uh, everywhere, every meeting, every place we go uh, as, as part of the media. And uh, these things are happening. And so five years later, uh, after lots of negotiation, I had to negotiate my own caucus. Uh, I negotiated with my really good friend whose son happens to be majority leader right now, Doyle Corman. And uh, Doyle and I, Doyle was great. Uh, we negotiated, but we truly negotiated. It wasn't, uh, he was fair. And, uh, and what he, uh, Doyle had been a county commissioner at one time before he became a senator. And so we did negotiate and we came to an agreement and uh, it, was, it was really, nobody thought we could ever get it through, but we did. And uh, it's the same law today, amended, uh, and uh, whether it's enforced or not has always been the issue since then. Uh, if they enforce it, uh, then we would be fine. Uh, that was important. Uh, I just uh, forwarded to my daughter uh, uh, the papers that she now has control of uh, the tuition account plan that uh, my grandson, first my grandson's at Penn State now, but my granddaughter, Tulane University. <laughs> Anyhow, she's getting ready to go. And so uh, my daughter, I, 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 I made arrangements to uh, help them with uh, college tuitions for several years. And so I wanted her to have control, but that was my bill. And that, uh, that tuition account plan, and I had to, oh my gosh, Governor, for some reason, Governor Casey uh, made it very difficult for me, and then Senator Jeanette Reedman, who was the expert on education, uh, she uh, uh, wasn't crazy about it at the time until we finally, she finally changed, and uh, Governor Casey finally signed the bill into law. That is huge. Let me tell you, there are kids who are going to college who would never go to college, would be able to go to college if it wasn't for the tuition account plan. It's grown tremendously, and uh, you know, obviously we're pretty proud of it. There's a lot more to talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time. We can't be. We just started. <laughs> We've been speaking with Senator Bob Jubilee. He is the author of this book, The Senate Will Come to Order, But the Politics May Be Messy. Thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.